0: Shabbat shalom. you ever been in a hall with 18,000 other Jews, 18,000 all in the same place at the same time? It's actually an exhilarating experience. So many Jews divided on so many issues, all coming together, united in support of Israel. I was at the AIPAC Policy Conference this week, the pro-Israel's annual Pro-Israel Lobby's annual gathering. And I participated in a panel discussion about pro-Israel activism in progressive communities. Nowadays it is increasingly challenging to even speak of pro-Israel activism in progressive communities. AIPAC is aware of that and asked me to present. They admire our synagogue's leadership on Israel. I made four points. One. Zionism is a liberal idea. It is a movement to liberate the Jewish people. So persecuted, oppressed, despised and decimated throughout history. Grounded in ancient Jewish values, modern Zionism was founded, conceived and propelled by mostly secular, and liberal Jews. Theodor Herzl was a secular, liberal Jew – deeply learned in Western philosophy – well on his way to complete assimilation. As a Jew, he just wanted to be left alone. Only after concluding that Europe would never leave the Jews alone – no matter how much Kant they studied. He formulated the revolutionary idea of rebuilding the Jewish state after two millennia of exile. Zionism is the self-emancipation and self-determination of a proud and ancient people that contributed so much to human civilization. It is what liberals believe – self-realization, freedom, liberty. Zionism is the self-empowerment of the Jews after two thousand years of powerlessness. Liberals tend to be suspicious of power. It partially explains why liberals have difficulties with Israel today. Liberals are inclined to emphasize the misuse of power – and are skeptical that force can resolve conflict, we are much more comfortable with reason. The use of force strikes us as a breakdown in reason. We believe that every problem should be resolved short of force. We are more confident than conservatives that people can change. That even your enemy can change. If you just had the time to sit down and reason things out and that this change can occur rapidly. We don't place as much importance as conservatives on Jonathan Swift's caution. You can't reason a person out of something they haven't reasoned themselves into in the first place. Having power creates its own moral challenges. Many of the disagreements we have had in this country over the past generation, two generations, three generations, were over the moral legitimacy and the scope of the use of force. It's the same in Israel. I lament innocent Palestinian victims. Their children are as entitled to grow up educated and safe as any Jewish child – and any other child on earth. Palestinian leadership is appalling. But there are also disturbing, arrogant and unnecessary abuses of power from the Israeli side. Israelis can do better. And Palestinians, too, are entitled to self-determination. That's why I support two states for two peoples, one Jewish, one Palestinian, living side by side in peace. However, Jewish history proves that powerlessness is the worst catastrophe for Jews. It is far better to have power and to struggle with its moral use than to be powerless and at the mercy of others. One day the lion may lie down with the lamb. But until that day – especially in the Middle East – it is better to be the lion than the lamb. Lambs get slaughtered. Look at the millions who have been killed, savaged and dispossessed just in the past five years – anywhere you look, any direction you look within a hundred-mile radius of Tel Aviv. If they do this to fellow Muslims – and Christians – and Yazidis – Can you imagine what they would do to the Jews if they only had the chance? They tell us what they would do. We should take them seriously. Liberals tend to diminish and de-emphasize blood-curdling threats of annihilation as mere rhetoric intended for domestic consumption. They can't mean it. What reasonable person would believe or say something like that? Such as our world is now, the use of force in self-defense is a moral imperative. My life is no more, but also no less valuable in the sight of God as another's life. And if he rises to kill me, the sages explain, I am not only entitled to stop him. I am morally obligated to do so. One of the key challenges of our times for liberals is to embrace the need for power but to use force – as wisely and as morally as possible – in pursuance of the liberal goals of peace, well-being and enlightenment. Two, I told the AIPAC convention that we should not be afraid of criticism. We should not seek to stifle criticism. We should be critical. Criticism is often a sign of love and support. Some of my best friends are critics. So what if we disagree? Can anyone stop Jews from disagreeing with each other? Arguing with and criticizing each other? is a particular Jewish genius. We enjoy it and we do it so well. Do you agree with every policy and every aspect of American society? Are you happy with the state of the country? You think that America is a moral utopia? The highest form of human expression? The end of moral history? What are you going to do about it? Walk away? A plague on all your houses? The book of Leviticus states, hocheach tochiach et amitecha – rebuke and rebuke again your fellow. All of Judaism is based on rebuke. On seeing something wrong and trying to make it better. And if the initial rebuke does not work, rebuke again – even a thousand times, say the rabbis. Pluralistic cultures like Judaism rest on argumentation and criticism. Disagreement, dispute, controversy, disagreement – these are the paths to truth. According to Jewish sages, Judaism itself is one big argument unfolding over 3,000 years of Jewish history. Democracies too rest on the assumption of protest and opposition. It is one reason Jews tend to do so well in pluralistic societies. Only monolithic religious and totalitarian Political cultures fear dissent. Jews welcome it. Three, I emphasized at APEC that for me, while I accept and even embrace criticism of Israel, I do not accept all criticism of Israel in the name of pluralism. Critics can be wrong too. Our communal concern is the survival and flourishing of Israel. If the intent, effect and context of the discussion is about that – to help Israel improve – the more public discourse, the better. The more disagreement, the better. The more criticism, the better – from anywhere – Jews, Gentiles, Israelis. Or others, It is what we have always done as Jews – and it has served us well through the millennia. If however the intent, effect or context of the criticism is about the very existence of Israel – if the attack is a broad indictment on the legitimacy of the Jewish state – Then we should realize its purpose is to make war on the very idea of the Jewish state and may be touched by anti Semitism. When we join these opponents who believe that Israel is the original sin of the world and the only solution to the problems of the Middle East is to dismantle the Jewish state, when we join them, when We give aid and comfort to people whose ambition is to destroy the Zionist project. I don't accept such criticism. They say it themselves. They don't hide it. They glory in it. What I often find distressing about Israel's critics – including fellow Jews – is that they constantly find themselves on the side of our foes. Israel is always wrong – on everything. Intifada is freedom fighting. Knifing a grandmother in the back is liberation. Missiles on Israeli schools and hospitals are moral resistance. Israeli responses are always disproportionate. When you suggest to them another standard of proportionality, like, try this, here is an idea of proportionality, don't fire on Israel and Israel won't fire on you. When you suggest to them that measure of proportionality, they become apoplectic. In their self-righteous preening, they look at you as if you are some moral pygmy. Don't you understand? They shout. You can't be a feminist and a Zionist. You can't be a gay rights, minority rights advocate and a supporter of Israel. These are contradictions in terms. Thus, they and their unwitting supporters whitewash and even justify profoundly anti-liberal, anti-Western, anti-modern, anti-gay, anti-feminist, anti-democratic, religiously fundamentalist forces in the name of some cockamamie theories of liberalism – that are, in fact, not liberal at all. They are entitled to their views. But we are entitled – obligated really – to fight them – even if they are liberals. Especially because they are liberals. We must fight them with every ounce of liberal energy we possess. My co-panelist Ann Lewis – President Clinton's former communications director – made the same point. And she described some of her own efforts at fighting back within the Democratic Party. And when we push back, we find that some of these critics – so forceful and assured in their criticism – tend to be unusually thin-skinned. They are quick with moral accusations but offended by moral response. They are single-minded and single-purposed. Consistent with how Churchill defined a fanatic. One who won't change his mind and won't change the subject. Four. The last point I made at AIPAC is that the Jewish state is a reflection of the state of the Jews. Anyone who has spent any time within the American Jewish community, the organized Jewish community, knows that identification with Israel tends to be in direct proportion to identification with Judaism. Identification with Israel is the consequence of Jewish identity, not its cause. Jews identify with Israel if they identify with Judaism. If they do not identify with Judaism, they tend not to have strong feelings for Israel. You know this. You know this from your own families. The reason that Orthodox Jews identify more with Israel is because they identify more with Judaism. What did we think? That year after year and decade after decade of assimilation would not eventually take its toll on the state of the relationship between American Jews and Israel? That everything else about Jewish identity weakens and atrophies, but somehow only the relationship with Israel stays strong? That's what we thought. In the end, what Theodor Herzl told the delegates to the first Zionist Congress in Basel is still true. Zionism is a return to Judaism even before return to the land of Israel. We cannot be a people today without Israel. More Jews live in Israel now than in the United States. And sometime within the next twenty years more Jews will be living in Israel than all the other places of the world combined. The State of Israel keeps the Jewish people alive. Not only as a place of refuge – if it was only that – dieno Israel is the most eloquent, collective expression of Jewish peoplehood in our days. Our involvement in Israel's destiny allows us to participate in one of the great wonders of the world – the recreation of the national home and the restoration of the national spirit of the jewish people in the parsha of the week vayakhel pikudei we read of the construction of the tabernacle the ancient desert temple upon completing the work the bible tells us vayahi hamishkan echad and it came to pass that the tabernacle was one Echad. Jewish commentators interpreted this verse – the tabernacle was one – Echad – it means all Israel were joined in their hearts. Once the work was done, they realized how each of them had depended on the other – that the work could not have been done without the entire people contributing to the great national project. We are one, may this be so today and evermore.